Hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, your host, Graham Phillips and Gareth Dix. Welcome, Gareth. How are you? Shalom. Doing well. Good to be here. Excellent. It's good to see you. And a hello to all of our followers as well uh, on social media and our regular podcast listeners. Great to be back with you. It's been a few weeks since we finished off our series on the Doctrines of Grace, and we're looking forward to getting stuck into some new material this evening. So welcome all of you who are new who are newly subscribed and um yeah we pray and hope that the material we cover in this podcast will be of encouragement to you it might be a bit sobering in parts we're going to be talking about some of the things we see going on uh in the church here where we are in the uk uh, maybe you're not based in the uk but i'm sure a lot of what we'll say will sound familiar to you if you're in the west especially and so some of it may be sobering some of it will probably set teeth on edge a little bit but we need to say what we see really uh, <laughs> and uh, yep. not all of it's pretty but we do hope as well that by the grace of god that we'll be able to share some of the hope that we see for the future as well uh, some of what we see god doing in these days which is really exciting um, so we hope and trust that this even though it may be um, a little bit dark at times this episode as we look into some of what's going on in the church at the moment the visible church uh, we do pray that there's going to be an encouragement for you as we as we talk about maybe what we see god doing in all of this so so yes anyway so finish with the introduction um gareth why don't you explain a little bit about this podcast what we're all about at hammer and tulip for those who are new before we jump into tonight's subject yeah i mean really we are we're about discernment we're about the truth i'm really we're, we're about talking about topics that are i guess sometimes a bit controversial but they're things that wouldn't necessarily be raised in a church on a Sunday uh, depending on what church you happen to go to these things may never be discussed at all or preached about and so really this is almost kind of like a an online discernment kind of magazine or something that kind of brings up topics and, and looks at them and explores them in, in, a, in a forum where we hope that we get the, the grace and truth balance right I'm sure we don't always uh, it's hard to get it that balance right but we we are trying it with the best one in the world to be honest about what we see in the church and to speak about those things. Uh, we, we do believe that the church needs to be reforming and go on being reformed yeah. and, and, and actually going back to the word of God. So really there's that old fashioned reformed Luther's hammer, which is obviously in our title, Hammer and Tulip. There is that desire to go back to the Wittenberg door and, and, to, and to, to again go back and say, we, these things need to be changed. We need to go back to the word of God and there's we, we live in a culture now where there's so much that's wrong in the nation in the culture and in the church as well that our desire really is to start a conversation really that would hopefully lead to people talking more and thinking about things that perhaps they might not have considered before or maybe they'd noticed to some degree and hadn't thought it was as serious as it was it's almost like you know when you start pulling a thread and it just keeps on going yeah. keeps on going I guess it's what we we often do in these podcasts we will find something that 
perhaps we may be thinking well this doesn't seem such a big deal but then as as you actually start to pull that thread you see what what follows with it and so yeah really that's what it's about and we want to be of service to you we want you know everything that we say is covered in prayer and but we're not saying we're right about everything we're not but we want to be of service to you the local church so that when the things that we offer to you are things for you to think about to pray about and most importantly always go back to your bible and read and see if the things that we're saying be berean about the things that we're saying and do they match up to scripture yeah Um, but yeah that's really that's us i guess isn't it i think so and and a bit of background as well for those of you who don't know us um gareth is is ordained um in the church of england but is currently he's left um and this is what we're going to sort of unpack a little bit more of tonight and i'm also a pastor as well i'm in full-time ministry um but I've also endured having to leave a church that I was pastoring um, in really difficult circumstances. And so we kind of connected, I think it was 2019, just before That's right, yeah. COVID hit. And, and I remember we, we were at university together and we met again in 2019, sat down for something to eat in, somewhere in London, wasn't it? And um, That's right. We caught, we caught up, basically. We were chatting about everything that was going on in our ministries and there was just so much crossover uh and really kind of like hammer and tulip has just naturally flown out of that relationship that friendship of sharing very similar experiences in the ministry as as uh you know as, as youngish men we're not so young anymore but uh you know both of us had been in ministry since 2013 so we've been in ministry for 10 years and we were experiencing very similar things and seeing very similar things i think it'd be fair to say that you know we we occupy quite a similar space theologically as well we are you know the other side of this podcast of course is tulip so we are reformed we're calvinistic um but also we are um continuationist we're open to the things of the spirit in the church today we're excited about that um and so we are a little bit of a kind of theological mongrel the pair of us and so there's lots of good description (laughs) there's lots of crossover so i've probably offended everybody now and they switched off yeah um but yeah so for those of you who haven't already switched off yeah that's kind of the 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 connection point really and both of us experienced very similar things and saw similar things that we really felt we wanted to speak to because we don't feel we're alone in seeing some of what we're seeing and we hope that yeah through these conversations we can bring encouragement and insight um uh, to others who are maybe facing some of these challenges uh, whether you're in ministry or whether you're in a church somewhere just wanting to support the work that god is doing uh, we hope that these conversations can can be of assistance to you um so why don't we just unpack a little bit of what we want to talk about this evening because Really, tonight's episode is less formulaic, I think, than some of the stuff we have been doing. We, we finished yeah. up a five-part series on Tulip. Really advise you to go check that out if you haven't really listened to it. But tonight's podcast has really kind of come out of a, just conversations we've been having, hasn't it? Um, yeah. About kind of what we just ad hoc, what we're seeing going on at the moment. There's, there's been a lot happening You know, you have to be living under a rock to have not seen this in the last sort of six to eight months. We've had the, in the UK, we've had the General Synod in in February and and the whole whole thing about blessing or saying prayers of blessing for same-sex romantic relationships. And then you've got also that coming again now in July 
there's also a synod i believe happening in july as well is that right that's right so, yeah it's july uh, in july and november i think they're going to go into into more depth in november this year yeah um, and that's when we're really going to find out w- what this is going to look like on the ground but i think we can kind of see the direction of travel quite clearly now yeah i think i think we can and and you know in the uk this is this is massive it's huge and i think there's a lot of people obviously maybe not aware of you know the ins and outs of what's happening but i think this is big I think this is big. It's a big shift. And so we were talking about this and some of the kind of shock waves that will come uh, from the decisions made in the C of E over the, the coming months and the direction that they seem to be taking, really. <clears throat> so there's yeah. that conversation we're having. And then also we're seeing, we're seeing other things happen as well. Like, I mean, I'm an absolute YouTube hog. I don't know about you, but I consume an incredible amount of video every week and I love YouTube. Uh, yeah I, I waste a lot of time but i also spend a lot of really productive time on youtube watching some excellent stuff and the same on on instagram uh, as well and, and other platforms and we have noticed that there is this kind of like interesting narrative happening over the last couple of years where these characters like andrew tate and people like that have suddenly shot to popularity i think he was like up in the top five most googled men on the planet um, recently and so that just goes to show how many men in particular are interested in this character now i'm not making any comment about andrew tate i'm not saying whether this is a person you should go listen to but what i am saying is that you can't avoid this is somebody who's popular who's really gaining a lot of attention particularly from gen z and gen z if you're in the uk um and so is somebody that we need to be taking notice of why like why are so many people interested in a man like andrew tate um and the sort of things that he says and and there is also on the other end of the spectrum there's a lot of alarm there's a lot of alarm about that interest isn't there i've heard yeah you know even christians saying oh what are we gonna do about this andrew tate thing you know my kid is coming home from school and he's watching Andrew Tate. It's awful. What do we do? And so we've got that sort of side of it as well, where there's genuine concern um, that figures like him and others are being watched a lot. And so it, that's really interesting to me because Andrew Tate, and not just him, but but all these other kind of like famous YouTube celebrities, many of these guys they are maligned by the mainstream media in the uk that they don't get fair airtime but they seem to just gain a massive you know viewership and so that's it's just an interesting dynamic and i guess we kind of see that in the world and then we're seeing that on another level even in the church and so why is this happening why are so many young people going to listen to you know voices that you know to be honest sometimes are, uh, they are they can say the odd thing that's true but on the other side they're, they're super toxic in many ways but, but why why is why is there such interest in this and what has happened to enable this kind of attention to be so common so we, we kind of just wanted to talk about that a little bit and just dig a few layers down and see what we find um so yeah I think you know, the topic tonight that we came up with was simping for the culture or simping to the culture, however you want to put it. And really, 
this is something that we're seeing and we wanted to try and i guess try and figure out as we talk what might be going on and in the church in particular um and how we've come to this place really so just to just to make you aware a simp right if you're not aware this this is new sort of gen z language yeah, i think yeah. but basically a, a simp is a guy who just does too much he's desperate he's obsessed with a girl and he's always he's a try hard you know he's the type of guy mr try hard yeah the type of Desperado. guy that's just like he will do and say anything he needs to do or say in order to please the girl that he's after he he you know buys her ipads uh, and just does outrageous things to try and earn her love and she's just not interested um and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about simp basically isn't it um yeah somebody who's obsessed desperate tries too hard fawns over this girl that he's after and she's just not in, she's not interested <laughs> no her, and her it's just it's a mass direction. it's a massive turn off it's it's just it's it's cringy and everybody in that kind of culture who's, who's talking about this online they're kind of saying don't be like that instead be a high value man be someone who's yeah, like, you know who's very much got got an ambition knows who he is is his own man yeah. kind of thing so they're kind of this uh, that narrative's you know quite Not prevalent you hear this kind basically drop yeah you like dropping likes and comments on girls pictures all the times just trying to yeah, trying to get them to like look in their direction, but nothing's happening. So it's all like you know, being an being an alpha male versus being a, a total beta male. You know, <laughs> simp kind of. That's that kind of thing, isn't it? That they're and 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 quite often you'll you'll hear that narrative amongst the male influencers. They're kind of presenting these two almost caricatures, but there is some kind of truth within that. So we're kind of saying, well, actually, this this podcast episode is is going well. Actually, there's some truth. In fact, there's a lot of truth in in simping and what. We're we're actually seeing in the modern church particularly the the established church where that there's a lot of simping going on yeah absolutely yeah and i think when you think of that picture and i think we all know we've all known a simp and ladies i'm sure that you've had simps slipping into your inboxes from time to time over the years and i think what we're seeing is that same level of desperation i think um where yeah the modern established church certainly over the last sort of 50 60 years since the well gosh how far does it go back um it, it's hard to say but certainly the 1900s from the second world war on and the rise of post-modernity definitely what you're seeing in the established church is this is, is this desperation it's a desperation to be accepted and to be liked by the world wider culture and in particular i think you know those those mainline denominations that are linked in some way to the state for example like the c of e where there's a kind of like national identity that comes with being the church of england you know we yep. are the church to the nation and as the nation has kind of since the sexual revolution has run headlong after hedonism um, narcissism just self-serving pleasure-seeking lifestyle the church of england has has found itself 
between a rock and a hard place do we go after culture to try and win back some more people that are going over there or do we hold to scripture and you think about the 39 articles an incredible yeah. reform statement of faith i love the 39 articles you know or, or the common the book of common prayer fantastic you know orthodox document and you know and they're like do we hold to these which now seems so old and outdated and crusty but you know we know they're safe and they've stood the test of time or do we run after culture and and i think yeah. we've seen a definite shift in the way that the leadership has wanted to go in the last century which is we've got to run after culture if we're going to stay relevant if we're going to stay in the game if we're going to keep our influence really um, in this nation we need to start making some changes and so i think on a level we've seen some of that happening and i don't know if you've seen the same thing gareth or or how you might have experienced that but oh yeah, yeah definitely the seen the that a lot <laughs> it definitely does happen a lot and on so many different levels as well and i think um it, it's simping in the worship quite often that we we make the we make it like a third rate rock gig or something we or we make it so that it's appealing to people uh you know something i found really interesting was in churches i've served over the years in anglican churches at christmas time where we have the 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 carols by candlelight versus the contemporary carols uh, in more recent times i've noticed that that more people turn up for the carols by candlelight than the contemporary carols there's something about actually non-christians want to go to a church that actually feels like it's a church not trying mm. to be like a club in town because it's not a club it's a church so yeah. so there is something in well we actually want an experience of the transcendent we may not understand it but we want to go to church that's distinctly being a church not trying to be something else so there's that trying to be attractional we talked about this before obviously in in the episode on pragmatism and, and what have you but there's obviously the the simping in the theology and teaching where we we see the the gospel being removed so yeah you go to an anglican church most not all but i mean most of them i mean most of them and you are not going to hear penal substitution preached <laughs> from the pulpit you're not i yeah. i i used to when i was an anglican minister and got kicked out for doing it uh, they just <laughs> do not want you standing there telling people with the r word repent and believe the gospel they don't want you to say that you might upset someone so yeah. they it's it's watered down or it's going silent or it's just a different gospel altogether but what we, what we find you go to church on a Sunday in an Anglican church you'll never hear how you become a Christian that's the one thing it's some waffly talk about giving or volunteering or you know I, the, the the vicar's vision statement of vision i've got a vision and what they mean is they're going to recruit some more staff and they want you to give it's just all this froth and you're just thinking just preach the gospel that's what everybody's here for yeah. but they don't and so they wonder why um there's been such a mess but the thing i've noticed and this is the thing which the church of England. Uh, churches or a lot of the Church of England churches haven't really cottoned on to is that many non-Christians would actually respect them a lot more if they were actually consistent in proclaiming the truth yeah for sure like if you're consistent about your message like this is what we we've been teaching this for centuries and we keep preaching the same message we keep you know we will we'll, uh, present it in more modern ways we preach the gospel in different ways but it's still the same gospel we're still preaching repent and believe we're still preaching that Christ died as an atoning 
being sacrificed for sin. We're, we're being creative in the way that we're presenting that truth so that it connects with people. And, and as, a, as someone who's creative as well as being a minister, I love the challenge of having to preach evangelistically in such a way that it connects with people. I love doing that. Mm. But that's what we should be doing but the church instead of actually thinking we've got a wonderful missional opportunity and keeping its worship and its teaching consistently uh, uh, biblical instead what it does is it is it if it doesn't completely go after the culture it, it kind of adjusts its message and thinks how can we do a kind of a in a, a bit of a, a compromise here yeah. so that if someone wasn't a Christian and they came to church, they wouldn't be offended as opposed to a person who wasn't a Christian comes to church and actually finds out clearly how they get saved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a JC Ryle quote that I found the other day that, that really sort of spelt out the importance of keeping the gospel at the center and yeah. what, what happens if we don't you know it's it's five parts but listen to this jc ryle the former church of england he was bishop of liverpool wasn't he um, yeah amazing in man the 1800s but he says number one substitute anything for christ and the gospel is totally spoiled number two add anything to christ and the gospel ceases to be a pure gospel number three put anything between a person and christ and that person will neglect christ for that very thing Number four, spoil the proportions of Christ's gospel and you spoil its effectiveness. And number five, evangelical religion must be the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. <laughs> now, there's a, there's yeah. a true churchman. Oh, there's a true churchman. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you see this, don't you? I think this is the same picture with simping is basically like the simp is a chameleon. He, he's a guy who's just willing to change his coat, um, his skin, you know, his very being in order to be attractive to the yeah. female that he's after. You know, it finds out that she, you know, she doesn't like bananas, but bananas are his favorite food. But now he hates bananas too because he can't like them. You know, it's good. Do you know what I'm saying? Like little things like that, just changing like a chameleon in order to be attractive to this person that actually despises him. And so in a way, it's like these established churches and not just in the UK either. I know that's the case study here today and it's the one that we have most experience with, but we're seeing it all around the world. Um, we're seeing this kind of like chameleon-like ability in mainline denominations to just change in order to yeah. become just ever so slightly more attractive to a culture that hates them just hates them yeah and, and whenever they change they become they become more hated they get, yeah they do because it's more pathetic isn't it's it more it's more pathetic and, they, and then the culture begins to abuse them more and more it's like a beaten dog do you know what i mean like a, yeah, yeah you know carrying the corner and and just please love me and then that the weakness makes the culture hate them even more. It's awful. And, it is. And they don't see it. And, and I think that somehow, like, compromise is going to actually win the game for them. But if they're actually held true to the gospel and to the word of God, there's a chance they actually might win more people. And so what's actually happened is that I've seen anyways, I don't know if you've witnessed this as well, whether this is, like, worldwide, but... If you look at the big churches, right? If you look at the churches that are busy still on a Sunday, yeah, yeah. they are overwhelmingly female. Yeah. Overwhelmingly. Like, 
when I look at the pictures from a Sunday service of any given church that's big in this country, you know, they share the pictures. I am seeing mainly women. And, yeah, and, it's true. Okay, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Great to see churches busy, but there, there does seem to be an imbalance there. There are men dotted around, but, but not as many. And it's very no. kind of like it's a model of church that is attractive to a female. It meets felt needs. The worship music ministers to emotional. Emotions. It's emotional. Listen, I love emotion in worship. Don't get me wrong. I think God created emotions to be used in worship and so i'm not one of the frozen chosen <laughs> like i believe you know i believe we should be exuberant and passionate in worship but equally when worship becomes geared towards getting some kind of an emotional response from you then it's idolatry it's idolatry it's ministering to emotions yeah. and you're never going to get higher than that but that's the thing if you aim at emotional responses you'll never get to the spiritual because you're aiming at the soulish and so yeah you know, this is what I'm seeing is church is overwhelmingly female and a lack of men. And I, I remember this even when I was at university, like going to churches, I was looking for a church where I could find men's men because yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't feel like I'm not saying I'm the most masculine man in the world. I'm not. But, you know, I wanted to find a church where I could see other men who I could respect, who were strong masculine characters do you know what i yeah. mean like i know this sounds awful yeah. but you're looking around the room and you're thinking yeah i could take him in a fight i could take him <laughs> and then you're like do you know what i mean and then you're looking for the one guy yeah. that you think nah he'd, he'd have me do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah completely yeah, yeah. So it's how men think man it's how men think it's just how it is you know i'm sorry if that's offensive but it's how it and so when you find the church when there's a few fellas in there that you think no they they would best me that's the church definitely beast me that's in a fight the church yeah. For you. Yeah. yeah so like when i arrived at st Aldate's in oxford i remember i walked into the student evening you know and as soon as i came in Simon Ponsonby walks up to me and sh shakes my hand with his massive meat hook of a hand and just crushes my hand. And I'm like, and he's like, he's like, all right, mate, you know. And I was like, this is the church for me. I like, yeah. I like this place instantly. And so, you know, I just remember then though, even then it was starting to go that way where the bigger churches, there were fewer and fewer men. And I, I think there's reasons for that. I think basically what's happened is that church like you say has changed something about the way they do worship they, they try to go more for that kind of like big emotional experience like you'd get at a concert um, yeah that's going to be it's a like Coldplay concert or something yeah yeah, you know. yeah yeah um but in so doing weirdly enough they that it hasn't actually reached men so much reached a lot of women no. but not so much men um not saying all men don't enjoy that but but that's kind of like what i'm what i'm seeing really and then with this, the preaching as well this is really interesting because you know i planted a church in 2020 a long story that i'm not going to go into now because it will bore you but anyway we planted a church and my heart was just like i just want to be faithful i just lord i just want to try and yeah, yeah. keep it basic preach the gospel keep the sunday sermon expositional verse by verse and to be honest we just didn't have the manpower to make the worship all emotional and like dreamy no because uh, we're small yeah. <laughs> you know it's an acoustic guitar and a, a beatbox if you're lucky so but basically yeah what we saw was that 
we began to attract mainly men <laughs> and so Interesting. we're actually a church that's more dominated by men than women and you do find that it's smaller but we have found a lot of guys coming out of the woodwork who haven't been going to church for a long time and they've been out in the sticks and they've come in and they love they love to hear heavy doctrine <laughs> yeah and they love to deliberate about it you know we'll have a pub night once a month and we'll talk about these things and they'll often say to me things like oh it's just so good to be able to talk about this kind of thing because whenever i've tried to talk about it with previous ministers they've given me a weird look and wanted to change the subject you know but but you'll you'll entertain it yeah <laughs> and i yeah. just think there's a whole generation of blokes out there that actually love talking deep biblical doctrine but they want to be catechized they, they want to be they want to be disciple yeah. it's how i want to be disciple because you know is what i believe the right thing is really what they're saying is i i, I this is what i think but am i right about this but basically they, they've been yeah they, they've not been in a place where they've been able to actually have those conversations and where the you know the teaching is just like puddle deep and if you ask any questions that go deeper than the puddle you get funny looks because it's like hey are you criticizing us you know you are you trying to have a go do you know what i mean so i think we are seeing you know just a very small example but we have seen like a shift in the demographic of our church as we've become more centered on scripture and being more confessional bringing in the old reformed statements of faith using the yeah. heidelberg the westminster 39 articles using those regularly on a sunday um you know we're seeing men just be begin to get excited about that stuff and women too which is amazing yeah but just seeing that balance come back um and yeah it, it means that you do stunt your growth it means actually that you're not as appealing to many people you don't get as many bums on seats but those who do come really seem to enjoy having that deeper level of doctrine and theology yeah um yeah but i think as well mate it's 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 not just in the worship is it it's not just no. in, in the preaching it goes further than that and now we've had what like since the 60s it's 60 years since the 1960s that's a long yep. time and during those six decades there's been enough time in mainline denominations to really shift things and change things and so yeah big changes leadership like ordination all of this has had 60 years to get closer to being something that the culture finds attractive and i think yep. that's one of been the one of the big changes as well i don't know what you see or what your perspective would be on that but I definitely see a shift in the kind of leaders that these churches want to appoint. Yeah, I think certainly. I mean, we. I tend to see that there's particularly, um, and there's nothing wrong with being academic, or whatever. But generally speaking, you you recognise unless you've got an Oxbridge degree, you're not going to be leading that particular church, and that's a problem. I think in in some ways because. That you know, being academic means that you have one particular set of skills. Yeah. But someone who's actually who's actually able to relate well, who's got good, who's got re good relational skills, who's is a strong um, 
masculine character who's able to communicate well with the men and someone who draws people to them that a lot of the time you find that those kind those kind of people unless they have a fall into a particular bracket or they know the right people that's the other thing mm. are you are you well connected and you know i've seen this myself and friends who've also been trying to find jobs or go for jobs and you you see someone from a particular church network or related to a particular well-known person and it happens all the time you end up with basically families that end up being you know leading all the different churches or if you if you're related to someone or it's very very kind of i guess incestuous in some ways and i i just for me i notice a leadership push that's driven by a very political way of of appointing leaders rather than actually who's god calling to lead this church and i'm not saying that that people who don't you know get called to lead churches that are called there but i i myself having been in that process for many years i honestly can say that i genuinely really do question how how many people are actually being called by god to lead certain churches and how many are actually just getting jobs because they know the right person yeah yeah that's a shocking thing to say and i may be wrong on that but that's personally my hunch is that did god really call that person there or did they just happen to know the right person hmm yeah that is concerning if that's you know if that's experienced and that's something that other people are seeing then that's a worry isn't it uh we need to make sure that those who are in ministry have been called um yeah yeah and so yeah i think um i think definitely we've seen it we've seen a shift and um you know i don't know i don't know enough about the the colleges where people train for ordination um so i can't really comment but i think you know what we are seeing in culture in terms of people flocking to people like tate or, or like you say myron baines people like that um watching these kinds of things that are you know these guys whether you like them or not we're not here to make a comment about that but what they are doing is they're calling out some of the elephants in the room of our culture yeah they're calling out the things that you're not allowed to call out like <laughs> you, yeah you're not completely. allowed to you're basically not allowed to have a go at feminism without no, not at all without oh, I must taking feminism. an absolute oh, no. pelting you know you, yeah. you're not allowed to do that and these guys are hell for leather attacking it and millions of people are watching them do it and lots of christian men are watching them do it and so we can <laughs> we can just take that for an example and say okay we don't need to agree with the rest of what they say and a lot of it is is rather toxic let's be honest yeah but i think there's an attraction in their freedom to speak about things like new wave feminism things like transgenderism all these kinds of ideologies which have become sacred cows in culture that you are not allowed to challenge and especially in ordained ministry you must not speak no. against these things you know otherwise you shall be defrocked you shall be disciplined you shall be in trouble yeah. or at the very least you certainly won't get that next job that you're going for and so um there's an attraction for people because these guys are actually doing the thing that we're all told we can't do and i think what's interesting is that all we see from the church the established church is they're they're quick to attack these characters and to yep. decry anybody so if you if you're watching them that means you must be an incel 
terrorist you know living in your mum's basement and stuff like that and you know you hear kind of like big figures saying these kinds of things instead of thinking well why is this happening like why is it yeah. and part of it i think is the simp culture of basically we've seen in the last 30 40 years our culture these ideas of, of, of feminism and um individualism really you know i reserve the right to define who i am entirely you don't get to tell me and who i feel i am is who i am all of that kind of philosophy has been what culture has adored and loved and celebrated and so because these big established denominations have not wanted to rock the boat with culture and wanted to appease they've stayed silent on these things they yeah. haven't they haven't questioned is i'm not talking about attacking these ideologies viciously i'm just saying every ideology that raises itself up against the word of god must be challenged right yeah but but these but these denominations very often have stayed silent on these things or have tacitly supported them you know and so it's really showing up their kind of ineffectiveness in that area the rise of characters like this or you think back to jordan peterson five years ago yeah. and he just shot to fame everybody wanted to listen to jordan peterson and it was a similar type of guy somebody who was going to speak the truth say the one thing that you shouldn't say and be prophetic in a sense uh, and so i think so yeah i think the thing there's something about this where i think you've, you've touched on something important there where actually and this is the thing where i could really go off on one and get on my soapbox so i'm just going to try not to but i'm so sick and tired of people talking about leadership uh, oh leadership and then these these same people who constantly talk about how we need to have leadership and the leadership they're talking about by the way is just merely corporate business kind of stuff it's basically running a budget running a team basically being a, a ceo type character it's not church leadership and it's not any form of leadership you want to know what leadership is leadership is when you say the thing that everybody is thinking but no one's brave enough to say it that's leadership mm. leadership is is not cowardly sort of just trying to politically keep everybody happy um and just try to keep the thing running along because that's what a lot of these these so-called church leaders do they yeah. particularly the larger church churches and higher up the ladder in the kind of senior church leadership in the church of england and these bigger denominations all they're trying to do is basically just keep the whole thing moving along and not upset anybody yeah keep the rest so it's, together it's don't yeah don't rock the boat keep the gravy train moving along and make sure everybody's getting what they want on the gravy train but real leadership is actually being willing to speak into the, the issue and have the yeah. bravery to say the unpopular thing and that's really what a, a true leader does and this is where we've got this vacuum of true leaders actually saying this is what's wrong this is the problem uh there's this th instead there's just this elephant in the room and we had this all the way through covid like no one no one would stand up and and say anything and, and this this is the, this is the issue as i see it is that the the lack of leadership in the church is is one of the main problems why we've got this situation people are being very cowardly they're not speaking the truth and people who have because if you've got a platform you've got the opportunity to speak in a way that is going to have an impact so the likes of andrew tate myron Gaines on one on one extreme or jordan peterson on, on another and everyone in between these guys who've got lots of followers on their youtube channels they are speaking against 
the, the feminism, the wokeness, the you know the, the nonsense, and at least they're to some degree calling out some of the rubbish, some of the lies. Yeah. And as 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 you know, shady as many of those characters are, they're actually providing a, a forum and opening a conversation, which many of our church leaders are way too cowardly to ever yeah. uh, go there. <clears throat> well, this is it. I, I was. <clears throat> as you were saying that I was thinking about wartime Britain and you know as the war second world war began to approach you've got Neville Chamberlain in charge you've got Neville Chamberlain in charge you've got Hitler in Germany and Hitler begins to knock down dominoes in Europe he he, you know he he crushes uh, he doesn't crush he actually takes back the Rhineland he goes into Czechoslovakia and he, he takes some land there and basically Chamberlain does nothing. Uh, all he does is he goes yeah. over and tries to get this kind of he gets this signed piece of paper where Hitler's basically saying, "Look, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do anything bad. Uh, we can be mates more or less." And waves it above his head. Yeah. But the the point being is that eventually, obviously, Hitler does invade Poland and yeah, triggers yeah. the Second World War. And you've got a man in charge, Chamberlain, who's very intelligent. The man was extraordinarily clever very well qualified highly connected a good diplomat but not a wartime leader not a wartime leader and in the end his inaction and his prevarication really not wanting to rock the boat even when britain was in war he was looking for ways to basically just avoid fighting um, yeah. and it became disastrous that you know we lost we lost men in Narvik in in, in Norway a, a dreadful um exercise that that failed essentially that was you know that was partly down to Chamberlain as well as others but in the end he gets voted out and he has to stand down and in his place there's this fight for the leadership between Lord Halifax and um Winston Churchill so you've got Halifax again Oxbridge educated extraordinarily clever diplomat just the perfect politician and all the politicians wanted Halifax yeah yeah. he he was he was highly favoured he was the one everybody wanted to be the next prime minister for the war and actually (laughs) when it came down to it it became uh, it became obvious that he didn't want it. He didn't want no. he didn't want to be the one who had to navigate the country through war with Germany. And in the end, more or less, he he succeeded. Uh, he let he he let Winston Churchill take that position. Churchill was viewed as dangerous. He was viewed as a loose cannon. Uh, he wasn't viewed by the rest of the political elite as somebody that was on a level with them. Um, but he was sometimes viewed a bit as uh, like a useful idiot, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was probably a bit harsh. He was respected, but he wasn't seen as a peer with the types like Halifax and, and Chamberlain. But he was the right man for the season of war. And he came in. Yeah. And what a job he did. You know, he was certainly a God-appointed leader for that time, saw Britain through the war. And you just think, what what are we in right now? In culture, we're in a war. We are. This is wartime. This is not peacetime. We're in a, we're in a time of war. And what we need is wartime leaders. We don't need yeah. peacetime leaders. And I think that's what we see in a lot of is basically leaders who are extraordinarily bright. They have all the skills at their disposal, but 
but they're just not equipped for the fight. They're not equipped for war. They that's a fair that's not, a fair point. Yeah, you know that they're, they're just not the kind of Winston Churchill leaders. They're more Lord Halifax leaders, and so it's kind of like what's then happened is that you know the country just just as britain under chamberlain became disillusioned and became lost its self-confidence lost its identity became fearful of what was about to happen we see the same in the church under these leaders who say all the right things but do not engender courage in the church and so i believe what we need is a new generation of of wartime yeah. leaders uh, who maybe are not like you say they're not oxbridge educated maybe they're not like no. red brick university graduates but they're wartime leaders who will say the uncomfortable things and who will go oh, back brilliant. to the truth will go back to the gospel and will challenge all these ideologies that have raised their heads up against the gospel like that's i think that's what we need how you get yep. to that is a separate <laughs> it's a whole nother question because now we're 60 years into this trajectory and whether those you know whether these mainline denominations now are just hold beneath the water you know like they're sunk more or less but they're just <laughs> you know the hole yeah. is going down beneath the waterline but the, we still see the ship i don't know how many of these mainline denominations it's like curtains for them you know but maybe some of them can be salvaged you know maybe you know maybe we'll see god do something suddenly you know quickly but i think what needs to happen is that there needs to be a, a you know a change of the guard in terms of yeah leadership and we need wartime leaders yeah I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, I've been saying this and it's probably making me unpopular, but it is true. And going along with what you've just said is I believe, obviously, as an Anglican minister um, in the Church of England, and I'm currently inactive as a minister because I've had to come out because I just cannot and will not have anything to do with the Episcopal oversight of Lambeth. They are completely out of control. I that. Yeah. and. And I personally believe, and I've, I've said this um, to people and, and upset them, but I've said basically a whole bunch of these bishops and archbishops, they either need to publicly repent or they all need to step down or be stepped down. Yeah. It, it really is that simple. Yeah. There, there is, and that's, that's not to be spiteful and vindictive. No, that's just to great say... great people in there. Great people. Yeah. But you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong on this. You're actually, you're leading the church towards destruction. You, you're not actually being consistent to what the church is. That what, what you've become is, is something that is, that is so detached from biblical Christianity that it isn't actually biblical Christianity anymore. You're not connecting with the culture by preaching the gospel and showing them a better way out of the mess they're in. I mean, in the, in the, ordinal, the, the ordination liturgy, it actually talks about leading people through the confusions of this world and to repentance and faith if you read mm. the priesting liturgy of the church of england it's it's mm. absolutely amazing mm. and i made those vows and i meant them and want to continue in those vows and find myself in many ways absolutely gobsmacked that the church is, is wanting to to throw all of that away and and, and essentially I mean, this this is the crazy thing, and I just, I just want to sort of briefly look at some of the the thing that's written in the ordinal. Um, I might actually just read this out because yeah, go for it. if I read this out and then we think about 
okay, Church of England, are you doing this? So this is, if you're ordained priest in the Church of England, which you get ordained deacon first, and then the following year you get ordained deacon, sorry, priest. This is what is read out by the bishop to the, the deacons who are going to be priested. And he says... Priests are called to be servants and shepherds among the people to whom they are sent. With their bishop and fellow ministers, they are to proclaim the word of the Lord, proclaim the word of the Lord, and to watch for the signs of God's new creation. They are to be messengers, watchmen, and stewards of the Lord. They are to teach and admonish, to feed and provide for his family, to search for his children in the wilderness of the world's temptations, and to guide them through its confusion that they may be saved through Christ for, forever. Well, I mean, that, that they've completely reneged on that. Mm. And then he goes on to say, formed by the word, they're to call their hearers to repentance Ooh. and to declare in Christ's name the absolution and forgiveness of their sins. That's in your ordinal liturgy. Mm. In your ordinal liturgy, you are to call your hearer to repentance and to declare in Christ's name the absolution and forgiveness of their sins. I've effectively lost my job as an anchor minister for actually being faithful to my ordinal vows. This is how bad it is. Yeah goes on to say with all God's people they are to tell the story of God's love they are to baptise new disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to walk with them in the way of Christ nurturing them in the faith they are to unfold the scriptures to preach the word in season and out of season and to declare the mighty acts of God they are to preside at the Lord's table and lead his people in worship offering with them a spiritual sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving they are to bless the the people in God's name. They are to resist evil. Mm. Resist evil. They're to support the weak. They're to defend the poor and intercede for all in need. They're to minister to the sick and prepare the dying for their death. Well, how are you doing that if you're preaching universalism? Guided by the Spirit, they are to discern and foster the gifts of all God's people that the whole church may be built up in unity and faith. (laughs) Wow. I mean, wow, that is what you're promising to do when you're deaconed, uh, sorry, when you're priested in the Church of England. When That is the point at which you're saying, I'm going to be a biblical leader. And so I believe that this is a time where people are going to have to start being honest with themselves and saying, actually... I'm the one who doesn't believe the Bible. I'm the one who's not actually willing to keep my ordinal vows because I am. Why should I be sidelined as an Anglican minister who actually actively wants to keep his ordinal vows when there are all these clowns out there who have no interest at all and actually actively breaking their ordinal vows willfully? They they should either they should be given the chance to repent and if they won't say, well, I'm sorry, you've got to be stepped down. Just go and... Yeah. Go and work for a charity or something, but you just have no part in this. Absolutely. And you, you look at the contrast between what you've just said, and by the way, what a phenomenal piece of literature that is. Yeah. Um, but you look at the contrast between, I think it's an interesting contrast between the Church of England and the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, recently. Um, and of course, you've got in February plans to pray and and bless same-sex romantic unions something that god calls an abomination how can you bless something that god calls an abomination you know Uh, but anyway we we've we talked about that before but you've got that happening in february what happens i think it was what 30 out of 34 gareth you have to correct me if i'm wrong 
roughly. It was, it was fir- 36 out of only four out of 40 so 36 out of 40 voted in favor i think one um one, one or two didn't vote yeah. one or two abstained and then four only four voted against it only essentially 10 percent of the house of bishops voted against it but here's the deal right so the vast majority voted for those measures to continue you know they, they haven't come into full yeah. force of use yet but voted for the continuance of that conversation um, with the hope of some kind of positive combination, right? But the fact is, there are bishops in that number who would identify as evangelical. There are yep. bishops in that number who are faithful in terms of their proclamation of the gospel, but they chose to vote for something that they knew was wrong. And yep. now the church has been sent down a path from which I don't think it's going to return. I have to be honest. I no, don't it think won't. It can it's not coming that. back. But and they and many of those bishops, I'm sure, had their reasons for doing that. Right? Maybe they felt that this was a necessary evil that needed to be undertaken in order to get some other kickback further down the line and what have you. Um, maybe they felt that the, the you know the battle was lost. That they just there was no way they could win, and so therefore they thought. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my vote in. I'll throw my lot in. And we're now down the path, right? It's down the path. Yep. And so very hard to come back from something like that. Now, if you oh, look completely. at the Southern yeah. Baptist Convention recently, you've got Willow Creek and Rick um, Warren. Rick Warren. Um, Saddleback Church. Saddleback, not Willow yeah. Creek. Thank you. So Saddleback Church with Rick Warren essentially being called up because he's been ordaining women now we're not here to talk tonight about egalitarianism versus complementarianism but the fact of the matter is the southern baptist convention has been a complementarian denomination yeah rick warren is ordaining women okay so rick warren makes an impassioned speech um campaigning to be able to stay in the southern baptist convention and to make room for other churches to you know other egalitarian churches to ordain women and egalitarian churches to join saying listen we need to be all together for the gospel saying things that would get lots of rounds of applause in impassioned speech and what was interesting was al mola stood up and put the other side of the argument essentially saying mr warren is free to explore that area of ministry if mr warren and saddleback feel that egalitarian ministry is the way then we would want them to feel free to pursue that but they cannot do so within the southern baptist convention this is a complementarian organization so therefore we believe you should leave and the vote was overwhelmingly that warren and saddleback be voted out of the southern baptist convention yeah that right since then elevation church has also left so because people like al mola and the the rest of the leaders there at the southern baptist convention stood up and backed themselves on this relatively small issue they got rid of a lot of dead wood right i'm not (laughs) that's probably the wrong way to put it but listen they made a stance yeah and and therefore they won't have to make that stance again anytime soon, 
They've, no. they've made themselves clear. Saddleback and elevation have left. Now, elevation for me, very, very sketchy. Very sketchy oh, organisation. Yeah. Really wafty teaching. Dodgy st- stuff going on there that's being taught there. Hanging around with known heretics. You know, platforming with T.D. Jakes, who's a, a modalist. You know, this, this is yeah, this yeah. is really, really dodgy and stuff. And teaching modalism as well. Teaching modalism, actually. Yeah, yeah. so... So what's happened since? Well, they've done themselves a favour. <laughs> yeah. They've got rid of somebody who basically just isn't a Southern Baptist. Rick Warren is not a Southern Baptist. No. And so they've just said, great, listen, we want we want you to crack on with what you're doing, okay? But you're not a Southern Baptist. And because of that, they've found this other church that is keeping company with heretics has gone, oh, yeah, well, we'll leave too then. So you can see how because these men had strong spines and actually stood up to yeah. those who were trying to bring division, they came out with a freedom and a confidence going forwards in the same direction. Now, look what happened in the C of E. You've got, yeah. oh, we're, we're a bit scared to, to kind of say no. We don't want to upset. We want to walk together. Uh, <laughs> how can you walk together if you go in different directions? You know? So can two, as Amos says, can two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? <laughs> I mean, I I could tell you one thing. When when I was, uh, I was about two years into my curacy, I think I was two or three years into my curacy, and uh, I was asked by the bishop to go to what was then called the National Shared Conversations, or was it Regional Com- uh, Conversations of Human Sexuality? So you'd have d- different dioceses would all gather. So you'd have like three different right. dioceses would go to, uh, I think it was, you know, it's the conference centre that we all went to. And the idea was because this is the thing we need to have a conversation about this and the answer is That's actually it. what does the no. bible say oh well, it says no so that that, that that there's your answer the answer is no oh no no we have to, we, well we need to have a conversation about that which is the church of england's way of dealing with everything rather than just being dogmatic about things that you need to be dogmatic about let's have a conversation all right we'll have a conversation i roll up with my bible i don't i don't know why they sent me but Uh-oh. they did they sent I, and there's only a small number of evangelicals so i'd come marching into the room and they'd all be sat <laughs> there as all these people are some of them mostly gay would all want to tell us their sob story and like well i'm i'm very sorry that you you know that obviously that must have been horrible for you and gareth what do you think well let's have a look in the bible and see what it says romans 1 i'm reading up romans 1 i'm reading out jude chapter 7 verse 7 whatever it is whatever it is i can't remember i'm reading you know from these different passages of scripture and and people are just like well um you can't say that i'm like well look it's in the bible i'm just telling you what the bible says can you answer me this and uh, we're we're all having this conversation someone asked me what do you think about it I said well I believe it's a first order salvation issue you can't say that that's really that's really you know divisive like well uh, that's what I believe because that's what the bible denial of revelation of God yeah and I was astonished I'll be honest like that there were vicars there I mean bearing in mind I'm just some guy in his 30s back then like mid 30s <laughs> only two years into curacy there are vicars there who've been vicars for years and they're shaking like leaves I come I, and uh, so a few of them I'm not joking a few of them said to me oh, I was really relieved when you turned up oh, what do you mean relieved when I turned up relieved. I'm like a curate that I'll relieve that oh, I'm so relieved that you turned up to this to this, um, this seminar because they knew that I would just open my mouth and just challenge them but the issue is like I say leading 
leadership is not about you know having certain skills it's just having the kahunas to just just call this nonsense out and i'll be honest with you like i haven't done a leadership course but i think deep down i believe i'm more of a leader than a lot of um people that i'm seeing leading these these institutions because i'm willing to say what needs to be said and you're willing to say what needs to be said and this is what we want we want people who want to say this is how it is not oh well you see there are all kinds of nuances here yeah this is what leads leadership is it's it's being actually you know leading and actually taking a stand for the truth that's why we do this this is why we're in leadership because we have responded to a call to take a stand for the truth but most people are scared and i remember that that i remember seeing the fear in so many of the evangelicals and we were a minority to be fair they'd stacked it so there's probably about one third evangelicals and the rest um were all kind of revisionists so yeah yeah, we were a minority but i thought i'm not going to back down i'm not going to i think some people many people don't like conflict and no you know i think unfortunately it's, it's just part and parcel of ministry you are going to have conflict it's literally promised and so you've got to get used to it you've got to kind of build some calluses just like learning an instrument you know you need to build calluses up so that you can yeah. play that instrument competently without it hurting you and i just find that a lot of ministers have been able um to to avoid conflict effectively yeah for many many years and therefore you know have they're just not used to it they're not battle hardened and so when the fight comes it's just like they're looking for anyone else to stand up and say the thing that they want them to say and then nobody does yeah so (laughs) we're back to square one again and so yeah like this is why i think going back to it we, we do find like outliers like the the Tates and, and others becoming attractive, and also you you know thinking outside. My experience really isn't in the established church. My experience is in the free church, but in the free church, it's like the wild west, mate. You know, there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot of flipping just dangerous stuff, outright dangerous. Oh, I know. People yeah. just set themselves up as pastors. You know, they've never even been catechized. They've never been to Bible school. They just they just feel God's called them, and it's okay you know we don't want to kind of pee on somebody's bonfire but at the same time like you can see how dangerous that can be and so there's massive there's massive issues in the free church it's just literally like the wild west where you've got you know you've got clint eastwood setting up churches all over the place and everybody wants to go to it because clint eastwood's a flipping cool guy he's got swagger and he preaches up a storm but he's very prone to heresy Uh, (laughs) and so it and also just just straight up bullying so i think you know we've got big problems in the free church as well um and there's some things they get right in the free church that the established church could learn from you know yeah Um, there's there's that fire and that passion but equally there's things that we could learn from the established church in the free but yeah it, it is sad and because of there's not a belly for a fight in so much of established church leadership these days because there's no guts there's no, no strong sp- spine spineless gutless essentially what happens weak. is the pulpit just becomes a place for parroting whatever wh- whatever message is popular whatever message is popular or is not going to be attacked by culture that becomes the mouthpiece 
that becomes yeah. the pulpit. So whatever the BBC is saying, listen, you need to be concerned about this right now. This is the big issue, whether it be climate change or gender equality or racism, then all of a sudden, guess who's preaching a series on that one issue? Oh, yeah. every woke church in the country. Yeah. <laughs> because they don't want to fight. They don't want to fight, you know. I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge said, only dead fish swim with the stream, you know. Only yeah. dead fish swim with the current. Uh, dead salmon, that is, you know. But that's what we're seeing, really, is just a lack of fight, a lack of identity. And because of that, we find a lot of people demoralised. And I think we are in a place right now where there's a real risk in this nation well we just need revival we need god to move but there's yeah. a real risk of us having that ichabod moment isn't there you know you've I think there talked is. about this before um you know there's that picture isn't it you explain it you're better at it yeah that. sure so i mean uh, there's i mean there's something that i've obviously we've been working on a book over the last few years uh might actually get published one day you never know but one of the main themes that i i felt drawn to was uh in one samuel one uh, chapters one to four and eli's sons and their, uh, their their contempt of god hophni and phineas and they had no respect for god they were consuming the sacral sacrificial meat themselves rather than offering it to god they're having sexual relations with the women who served in the temple so you had worship that wasn't being offered to God and immorality that was rife in the temple at the time of the high priest Eli. And I, I do think there is a, a real parallel here with with Eli and the Church of England as an institution and Hopney and Phineas as these unfaithful leaders. Uh, what we see with Hopney and Phineas was they had positions of authority in the temple purely on the grounds that their father was the high priest yeah. but they weren't qualified to hold their positions of authority and their behaviour their behaviour disqualified them they had no right to be there but their father never removed them and in the Church of England there have been so many ministers who should never ever have been leading those churches yeah. and, and just countless and people true. who are just liberal don't believe anything I mean I, this isn't me being controversial but you, no, you know this to be true Wait, wasn't it you telling me the other day that was a there was a minister, I think local to me, a CV minister that didn't believe in the resurrection. Yeah, exactly. It's just one example. There, there are ministers who are having affairs, ministers who are in open gay relationships, ministers who just who just don't do any anything. I mean, there's so many who should not actually be in ministry at all, but they're not removed, they're not challenged. There's no accountability, and that's how it was with with Hopney and Phineas, and. They're, these people aren't qualified. So many of them aren't qualified and they haven't been called out in their false teaching. You know that the job of a bishop was actually, particularly in the likes of J.C. Ryle would have been a good example of this, one of the few actually bothered to do it. But the whole point of a bishop is actually to oversee the doctrine of a diocese and make sure that all the churches in that diocese are, are being faithful to the word of God. A bishop is actually to oversee and to, to shepherd his, his ministers, his vicars, and make sure that they are actually doing what they should be doing they're actually keeping their ordinal vows and all the things that i read out earlier that's what a bishop's job is nowadays bishops are on you know twitter taking a pop at the prime minister or the government and some political virtue signaling which by the way that backfires when when the government go okay two can play that game we'll just attack you on the whole sexuality thing and say well you should be blessing same-sex relationships in which case now the government now the 
bishops have got themselves in a right mess because they've jumped out of their lane and started attacking uh, politicians and the government and the government have gone oh, okay we'll, we'll do it back to you then yeah. and so now now we've we, we just got a real mess and, and no one's staying in their lanes no one's doing what they're supposed to be doing bishops should be just focusing on the church and leading the church let the, let the politicians run the country and pray for them but that's what's going on and so we now have this real mess and going, going back to 1 Samuel God declares judgment on Israel and Eli's sons and he declares it through the young prophet Samuel and we see that the Philistines invaded Israel and they took the Ark of the Covenant with them and I think this is a picture of what's happening in the established church today that our godless pagan culture has taken that which is holy and distinctive to the Christian church away from the Anglican church and the mainline denominations we've allowed our enemies that the, the world to actually hijack and to take away from us Mm. through this this devilish deception in the church and now obviously we then see that Hopney and Phineas are killed and Eli dies in shock and Phineas's wife dies in childbirth and names her newborn son Ichabod which means the glory has departed and I think that is a word for the Church of England now Ichabod nothing of glory nothing of God but there's also another side to this story which I want to briefly touch on as well and that is as I mentioned before, I believe that Eli represents in this in, in almost kind of prophetically. But if you're if you're looking at it and looking at the Church of England now, Eli representing the Church of England as an institution, Hopney and Phineas representing the leaders. But there's this wonderful moment where where before Simon is uh, sorry before Samuel is called, he is he is lying down on his bed on the on the temple uh, floor, and it, the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out the lampstand had not yet gone out that, that God hadn't given up on Israel and yet Samuel is kind of lying low and I believe there's something of where God is going to step down the Hopney and Phineases and he's going to kind of bring an end to these old ways of doing things in many ways I think the church kingdom will essentially fizzle out I don't know how but I think there's that sort of old and decrepit like Eli was very old decrepit he couldn't see very well he was kind of really out of it and not really finger on the pulse I think that is the church of England bad leaders but then you've got this Samuel this 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 young leader who's lying low yeah. and I, I just see that almost that picture in, in 1 Samuel in 1 Samuel 3 particularly of certain leaders at the moment that God's going to raise them up there's people who are God's just going to bring out of nowhere people that no one you haven't heard of who aren't aren't famous yeah. they're just faithful ministers and I think there will be oh, I believe there will be a, a mass stepping down of some people well, there has to be history tells you that you only have to look at the reformation God raises up his Luther doesn't he there comes a point where I don't believe this is being super prophetic or anything like that. I think this is just common sense. Church history, the Bible will, will say this. God is not going to allow his people, his church, to continue to be led by bad leaders. No. He's going to do something. I, I'm, I'm not going to say what. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I don't know. But I do know what the Bible says. And I do know what church history says. And I know that God is not just going to allow his sheep to be led by wolves and, and false, false shepherds. No. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and I think we do see evidence of that from Scripture. You know, yeah. God endures false teaching even for a time. But, yeah. you know, of course, all of these all of these things must end. All of these things must be punished and dealt with. And, and I think it's got to happen. 
it's got to yeah. happen so uh, i'm i'm sort of weirdly kind of uh hopeful i'm hopeful despite all of this looking forward to see what will happen because it feels like this has been going on for a long time it feels like oh, it has. in the uk in the states we've seen these mainline denominations kind of like heading towards the cliff edge for cliff edge rather for a long time um but i am hopeful because i also see a generation of jeremiah's i see a generation of you know believers and leaders who are not known they're not big celebrities um but they are speaking the truth they're being clobbered they're being thrown into wells like jeremiah was left down there muddy and cold and uh being ridiculed at the moment but eventually they're going to be brought out eventually yeah, brought I out believe so. that well and and I, so i'm excited for that i'm excited for that even though for those people at the moment things seem very different and difficult but i'm excited for that next generation i'm looking forward to seeing a renewed church in this nation yeah um i think in in some ways the old has to die before oh, for we'll sure. see the rise yep. of, of the new and I don't know how long that process could take but I think that has to happen um, and and I do believe that the Lord will raise up this is my conviction anyway I do believe the Lord will raise up faithful churches once again in this nation they might look different from yeah. what has gone before but I have a conviction that we will see radical bible believing spirit-filled churches popping up all over this country in the next 10 to 20 years lord willing that's my hope because i'm yeah, I, I do i, I think we've seen a groundswell already in yeah yeah in the next generation of just there's just a discontent isn't there there's just like a kind oh, of massively like we've had enough of it and i'm seeing that even in the church as well there's just there's a hunger among some people to to come back to the word to come back to truth to come back to the gospel and so i I do have hope i do have hope for the future despite all of what we've said i think so yeah i think this is the the whole thing of you know eli dies and hopney and phineas die before we then see the emergence of samuel yeah and things are very different he's the kingmaker he's the he's the the one who anoints the kings he he's the one who brings um, Israel back to the Lord in repentance there's sort of shades of, of Joshua in his address to Israel yeah. when he brings them back and I think there is something of a purity of, of the new thing God will do and I, I think for me the thing that I am already excited about as you mentioned about many of the generation Z are disillusioned with the way things are they, they look at the, the past the way things have been and they and they see well, we don't want anything to do with this yeah. we want something that there's there is actually I think a desire for purity there's a desire for traditional so. there's a desire yeah, for that. I want I, I don't you see that the the new thing that's currently been supposed supposed to be better is is is, is stale that actually it's jeremiah jeremiah chapter six jeremiah uh, god says to jeremiah go back to the old paths yeah. and i feel there's a sense in which what's happened in the church is we've got well-trodden paths which yeah. are actually not the right paths we need to get onto the old paths mm-hmm. and where the good way is and walk in it and i think there is a i mean i go to a presbyterian church it's 
so inspiring to see how many young people are there yeah. and people in their 20s you can see that there's a, there is a hunger for for doctrine for for worshiping god properly and in, in a way that glorifies him we you know, we just have a piano and we sing hymns and songs you know and people yeah. want that because you can actually hear the congregation singing which yeah. you can't hear in a where you've got a rock band on the stage all you can hear is someone wailing through the microphone whereas if it's just a piano or whatever and you're all just singing hymns all you can hear is the congregation belting out the hymns well isn't it funny that the ichabod name the glory has departed yeah, comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which means glory, but also can mean weighty, right? It's it's, it's something yeah. to do with the weightiness, and so in the church you're going to, and I believe in the next generation of of churches to come that I think the Lord is going to raise up. There's going to be that weightiness. There's going to be the, yeah. the heavy things of the word, of the spirit, of the ministry that people are attracted to. You know, it's weighty. When I listen to sermons from your place. There's a weightiness to it, oh, you know, yes, and, and so brilliant. much of what we see right now, unfortunately, out on the church landscape, is 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 lightweight, isn't it? It's lost yeah. that that heaviness to it. it. There's, you know, it's kind of shelled of all its, you know, its richness, and so I think that God is going to bring something back. You know, I, I think yeah, we might see the the C of E as we know it now go under, but I do believe that what you know. All will not be lost in terms of no. what the C of E was good for in the last sort of 500 years. You know, the yeah. things like, you know, read from the ordinal or the, the Book of Common Prayer or, you know, uh, the 39 articles. We'll, we'll see a rise again of orthodoxy, I think, in, yeah, in the land and, and that weightiness of what it means to be followers of Christ and to be the church. So that's my hope. That's my hope. And so amen yeah some of it has been sobering to talk about tonight hasn't it oh it has been as well but i think it's it's important to have this conversation and i, I like look you may be listening to this and, and disagree with a whole bunch of things we said and you know that's fine really but yeah. we we just asked that that you think about the things we've talked about and we want to just like we say we want to start a conversation we want people to be thinking and and actually talking about these things because this isn't about us just having a rant <laughs> sometimes but yeah <laughs> but it's actually more seriously it's actually about these things are important these things matter and we we need to be thinking and talking about these things and like you say the weighty things are that the, the, they're right in front of us the yeah. church is the established church is at the point of imploding in front of our eyes and and possibly even this year i would be surprised in some ways if the church of england is even really still going in 2024 i may I, i'm not saying it's going to completely collapse but i think by november um when they start to bring out these these prayers and living in love and faith, I think people are going to start to see how bad this really is. Yeah. And I I I just think it, it it's it's so bad. I don't think people realise how bad it is. And, and we want people to take this seriously to pray and please That's be praying thing. for yeah. the for the church. Pray that God does something. We can you know we can try and predict and talk about what we think may or may not happen, and we could be completely wrong on on all these things, but. Well, the most important thing is that Christ will return one day for his bride. Yeah. And that is one thing we can be certain of and that the church needs to be ready for when Christ returns. The message the pastor at uh, the Presbyterian Church only last night was preaching about being ready for Christ, being yeah. ready whether we die, whether Christ returns, that we're ready. And that is 
ultimately the most important thing and our concern is that the modern church is not actually preparing people either for death or for christ's return that is ultimately the most important thing this is it this is it remaining in readiness for his return and uh keeping our cities and our our nation in prayer as well you know we we want christ to return for a healthy bride uh, when he does come so our hope and prayer is that um you know we would connect with you further please do subscribe to the podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this give us a review positively uh, if you have that always helps to get the podcast out to new listeners and we'll be back again soon with a new episode we've got a few things in mind yeah some great topics that we want to cover and some ideas of some guests that we'd like to have on the show as well so until then we, we pray the lord's blessing over you and it's been great to spend this time with you take care god bless